And of course, our sex hormones are not just for procreation. There's so many benefits to our sex hormones for our optimal mental health and our energy and, you know, our immune system. We need those sex hormones for so many things. But our body basically will steal the raw materials needed to produce our sex hormones, testosterone and cortisol for a man and progesterone, estrogen, testosterone for a woman and shut down those sex hormone production because our body will say procreation is not important and in fact it's a burden, it's a hazard, it's a risk when we're under so much stress. Today I'm talking nerdy with Bindi Stables about the relationship between hormones and neurochemistry and the impact that has on cognitive, emotional, and brain health. This episode is less of a conversation and more of a masterclass where Bindi will teach you about how circadian and infradian hormonal fluctuations influence the way that you feel, the differences in those rhythms between men and women, some simple diagnostic guidelines to discern whether or not your hormones may be imbalanced, and practical tools to balance your hormones and subsequently your neurochemistry. Bindi is a board-certified integrative health practitioner specializing in women's hormonal, digestive, and cognitive health. She's also the host of the Vibrant You podcast. Her work is dedicated to empowering women on their journey towards optimal health, hormonal harmony, boundless energy, and optimal performance so they can experience their happiest, healthiest, most vibrant self. Before you dive in, I would love if you could hit pause and leave us a five-star review and a written review on whatever platform you're listening on. In doing so, you help get this podcast into the ears and brains of more listeners like you. Now let's dive in and start talking nerdy. Welcome, Bindi, to Talk Nerdy to Me. I am so excited to be able to dive into your area of expertise today because it is so wildly different from my own, but so completely interconnected. So thank you so much for coming on here. And I wanted to begin by asking you where your journey into studying holistic health and becoming a wellness practitioner began both personally, your own relationship with your body and professionally how that evolved. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm so excited for this conversation and and thanks for asking. So my personal wellness journey goes way, way back to when I was a kid, actually, where I was really sick as a kid. And for about the span of a year, I practically lived in hospital with all kinds of undiagnosable symptoms and and things that were really misunderstood. And when I was really unwell in that space, I did all the labs, all the tests, all the MRIs and exams. And the most frustrating part was that everything was coming back normal, quote unquote normal. Your labs are normal. We can't find anything wrong with you. But what was happening was that I was having seizures on almost a daily basis for a year. So you can imagine the frustration of having these um, episodes and having these almost daily experiences and hearing nothing but we can't find anything wrong with you. And it wasn't until I found a truly holistic approach and kind of found a new way of healing that really took into consideration, of course, my body and my labs and testing, but also my emotions and my nervous system and my hormones, which I really didn't get access to until I found a truly holistic approach and started working with everything from integrative health practitioners to energy healers and meditation masters and yoga practitioners that I really started to get well. And it was amazing because after a year of being really sick and in and out of hospital and having these episodes on almost a daily basis and just trying all these, they put me on all kinds of drugs, this antidepressant, this anti-epileptic, this anti-anxiety, everything, which really just numbed me out. I see the value in it and I also see the limitation because there is so much more going on inside of my system than just needing an anti-anxiety pill. I remember one day in just a moment of kind of like sobering up from all of the, the medications that I was on, I remember looking to my mom in the living room and saying, mom, I don't want to do this anymore. I would rather have a seizure once in a while, but have like somewhat of a normal mind and be able to still like socialize and have somewhat of normalcy in my everyday living than take these drugs every day. And 
it was a really scary but really big leap of faith into exploring a more holistic natural route and I was so fortunate that within a month of everything from focusing on my nutrition to meditating on a daily basis to practicing yoga and a lot of mind-body medicine therapies and practices that within a month I was totally seizure-free and and got my life back. So that was kind of my personal story. And then naturally over the last 15 years, this has become my absolute passion. And for over a decade, I've traveled around the world studying all of the various different um, ancient healing modalities from Ayurveda and herbalism and that kind of side of medicine to studying back when I was in Canada and the West integrative health and became an integrative health practitioner so that I could be that point of stability and that and that point of wisdom for people that were in my exact situation. That is wild. I actually never heard that part of your story. And I'm really curious how old you were when all of that was happening, when you were having this year of seizures almost every single day. Yeah, thanks for asking. I would have been about 13. It was kind of 13 into 14 years old, which of course, for any age, that's hard to go through. But I'm remembering like the despair of I couldn't get my driver's license and I couldn't go on the school ski trip and, you know, I couldn't even shower with the door locked. So it was such a impactful time, but it really did set me up in so many ways. And it's an experience that I'm truly grateful for what I've received from it and what I've learned and gained and the kind of like life path that that experience really set me up on. That is so beautiful. And I think part of the reason why you're such a perfect fit to be on this podcast is because you have such a wealth of knowledge within the Western medical space and so much experience in that and also see where it has limitations as well and where we can seek out other forms of support when necessary. And so now, like, what is the way that you are supporting your clients and the people who come to you with their health? Is it that same kind of integrative approach where you're looking at the interplay between nervous system, hormones, nutrition, meditation, mind-body connection? What goes into the work that you're doing right now? So I kind of work in both realms. There's like the really nerdy Western part of me, the the practitioner side that loves, we do functional medicine lab testing and we get the data and we can see, you know, what's going on inside of this person's gut health. We test their neurotransmitters. We test, you know, their hormonal status, their nutritional status. And that part of the work feels really important to really hone in on the biology and the physiology side of it. But I know for me with my own healing experience that that helped, but it only got me so far. And really, the other side of the work is really understanding so deeply the mind-body connection, right? Psychosomatics, how our mind influences our matter, influences our hormones and our gut health and our cognitive well-being. And and that's where a lot of the mind-body medicine comes in, where meditation and mindfulness and all kinds of different, even, you know, spiritual practices that connect people to those parts of their psychology and that part of their neurochemistry it just connects them to such faith and trust and hope in their own ability to heal and that feels just as important if not more than of course the lab testing and you know that part of the work of course i think that i'm definitely a little biased given the background in neuroscience but in my opinion what's going on in our minds is always going to not trump what happens in our bodies, but it's always going to make the biggest impact because it it almost to a certain extent doesn't matter how much breath work we're doing or how many yoga poses we're moving ourselves into or the food that we're eating if our minds are constantly running amok, projecting all of these various dangers and stressors into our day-to-day life. And When I was in school, I was studying the fear response and anxiety, and we can definitely get into your area of expertise and the nitty gritty of hormones and hormonal fluctuations as well. But one of the things that I learned was that our body uses the same chemical compounds to build our reproductive hormones as it does to build our stress hormones. And when we're constantly in a state of stress, when we're constantly in a state of fight or flight, our body will use those resources to ensure our immediate survival through attempting to fight off the stress and subsequently throw us into disarray with 
all of our reproductive hormones. And beyond that, my knowledge of hormonal fluctuations is actually super, super limited. And I'm really excited to be learning more from you in that regard today. And I also want to give a little shout out before we get into all of that to the listener, Brittany, who actually wrote in and requested a podcast episode specifically on this. So thank you so much, Brittany, for for sparking this conversation between myself and Bindi. So I guess the best place to begin is just by kind of getting a brief outline of like, what do we need to be aware of in terms of health when our hormones are balanced? And what are some of the clues or indicators that we can look for in ourselves when things start to get a little more imbalanced? Oh, such a great question. Absolutely. So let's talk first what the signs of happy, healthy, balanced hormones look like. So throughout a female menstrual cycle, we go through very natural hormonal fluctuations. And what is natural and healthy for a female anatomy and female neurochemistry is that our neurochemistry as women changes and fluctuates up to 25% through the four different phases of our menstrual cycle. And so knowing that like a healthy woman is not meant to be the same, the exact same physiologically, you know, psychologically, we are so different every single day of our hormonal cycle that on average 28 day cycle that every woman menstruating woman goes through so healthy happy hormones does not mean that we are the exact same every day it means that we're flexible that we are changing however those changes shouldn't be so severe that we're you know at certain phases of our menstrual cycle going into really high or heightened anxiety or, you know, experiencing a level of depression, the pre-menstrual or luteal blues, we call it, right, where a lot of women may experience that really low mood, that really more anxious time or next level irritability. So that's one sign is really monitoring our cognitive health and well-being throughout the four phases of our cycle. And we should notice changes without a doubt. Sometimes we feel more creative. Sometimes we feel more introspective and inward. And that's perfectly natural and normal. But yeah, if we're noticing any major fluctuations in terms of our mood, our energy levels, we'd want to be kind of on the lookout for that. The second main marker that actually is a free hormonal test that we have access to every single month is actually our menstrual blood. It's a free monthly blood test. And simply by looking at our blood, we're able to tell so much about our hormonal status. So healthy menstrual blood should be a really rich, bright, cranberry kind of color from start to finish. So from the moment we start bleeding until we end bleeding, it should be bright red and vibrant with no major clots. It should be a a medium viscosity, almost like it sounds funny, but you know, when you were a kid and you used to make jello and when it was still liquid before it got not jello, the only thing I can think of that compares perfectly to the consistency of blood that we want. So pre-mixed jello before it sets. This is the consistency that we want. If we are experiencing a different color if we're having more brown blood, more prune juice color, if we're noticing a lot of clots in our blood, if we have a more dark red or a purple-ish color, if we have a lighter pink or a frothier color, if our cycle is quite heavy or it's quite light, or if we have a missing cycle or our cycle is irregular, meaning it's not coming within a day or two of the same day every 28 days or so. A woman's menstrual cycle can fluctuate from, you know, 21 days to 35, but we want it to be relatively consistent. These are all signs of imbalance. And we can even, I mean, that whole conversation goes so deep and we can say specifically what's happening on a hormonal level with prune juice color menstrual blood or with a lighter frothy pink color blood. But basically the the main thing is, is we want to aim for that really healthy, rich, clot-free blood from start to finish of every cycle. Okay, so if it's not cranberry red and if there are clots or anything else, that's our first sign that something is a little off, something's a little imbalanced. And I know that right now, the listeners of the podcast, the demographic is kind of a 60-40 split, women to men. So I know that there are going to be men listening to this podcast as well. What are some of the indicators that they will have that something may be a little imbalanced for them because they aren't going to have that monthly diagnostic to refer to in the same way that our women listeners will. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much for saying that. Absolutely. 
So the things that men would want to be looking for hormonally is primarily in their energy levels and their mood levels. So we kind of talked about like the women's hormonal cycle and that we follow as women something called the infradian rhythm where our hormonal status resets every about 28 days. However, the men's hormonal rhythm is based on the circadian rhythm, which is a 24-hour clock or hormonal rhythm inside of our system. And so a man's hormonal vitality in a healthy hormone pattern is that his hormones should be at their highest concentrations in the morning. His testosterone and his cortisol levels should be quite high in the morning. And he will know because he will have more energy, more vitality, more motivation. He'll wake up and get out of bed in the morning feeling like, you know, this zest for life and this kind of go-getter demeanor. That means that when testosterone and cortisol are high, so is his dopamine levels, his serotonin levels. And then for a healthy man, his hormones will naturally and slowly gradually start to wane throughout the day and reach their lowest concentrations, just like a woman would reach her lowest concentrations of hormone during her menstrual phase. The same as a man at the end of the day. We're hormonally more um, the same in our menstrual phase as women as a man is at the end of the day when his hormones are at their lowest concentration. And so he may naturally, and in a healthy man, by the end of the day feel a sense of satisfaction from the day. There's like, okay, I've I've achieved what I've needed to throughout the day. And there's a sense of calm, a sense of ease, a sense of relaxation by the end of the day that allows him to turn off his mind and fall asleep, you know, at around 10, 11 p.m. with ease. So that's what a healthy hormonal rhythm for the male hormonal cycle looks like. High energy, testosterone, cortisol, motivation in the morning, slowly, gradually wane throughout the day, lowest concentration at night. Interesting. And then for men, when there's imbalance, is it basically anything that deviates from that high in the morning and then tapering throughout the rest of the day? Yeah. Well, it can be two things. What I notice in men's hormones is that either they will notice an inverse of that, so an opposite. And what that could look like for a man is, you know, getting up in the morning and feeling really groggy and feeling fatigued and feeling lower mood and feeling kind of like a fog, a brain fog. But then when he hits, you know, all day, he's like tired and groggy. But when his head hits the pillow at night, it's like he's wired and his mind is racing and he can't turn things off. It's hard for him to sleep, hard for him to unplug and wind down at night. So this we call an inverse of his cortisol rhythm, where instead of his cortisol and testosterone being nice and high in the morning and lowest at night, that's actually flipped. So that's one. And, and that actually hormonal pattern is easier to work with than a full level of like burnout or low testosterone, low cortisol, which are the main two chemicals or hormones that a man needs for his vibrant well-being. And when he's in that kind of level of hormonal burnout, he feels flat all the time. No matter how much sleep he gets, no matter how much, you know, breath work and meditation he does, he can't seem to get his energy levels up. He's feeling lower levels of mood, perhaps a level of depression. And that's a sign that he's more in that hormonal burnout where his body's just not even producing the hormones that he needs to feel at his best. This is so interesting. I feel like I need to start taking notes right now because I'm already learning so much from you. And I so appreciate you giving us the insight as to what dysregulation and imbalance looks like. But what would even lead, and we can start with men since we're already focusing on them, but what would lead a man to even getting to that level of dysregulation or imbalance in the first place? Like what will throw them off? Yeah, 100%. So when it comes to the root cause imbalances behind any hormonal imbalance for men and women, there's 10 to summarize it as of course, diet. So poor diet, poor nutrition. Of course, if we're getting too much of anything in our diet or not enough of something in our diet, that imbalance will, of course, affect our hormones, which will, as a result, affect our neurochemistry. So if there's things like nutritional deficiencies, right, he, he or she is not getting enough of omega essential fatty acids or certain minerals that his body needs to produce those hormones, then that's going to be a cause of that. So poor diet or uh, nutritional deficiencies. Second, I'd say is stress. And this goes for men and women. This is the same. Is that as you kind of spoke to before, for men and women, our body will steal, right, from our sex hormones to produce stress hormones. And as human beings, we, our bodies are so intelligent and our body will always prioritize producing stress hormones to overcome 
famine or war or, you know, the things that are lighting up in our amygdala causing a stressor inside of the body. And it will always prioritize those stress hormones over our procreation hormones or our sex hormones. And of course, our sex hormones are not just for procreation. There's so many benefits to our sex hormones for our optimal mental health and our energy and, you know, our immune system. We need those sex hormones for so many things. But our body basically will shut down and steal the raw materials needed to produce our sex hormones, testosterone and cortisol for a man and progesterone, estrogen, testosterone for a woman, and shut down those uh, sex hormone production. Because our body will say procreation is not important. And in fact, it's a burden. It's a hazard. It's a risk when we're under so much stress. So our body will want to preserve all of our energy reserves and you know, keep us in fight or flight to survive the stressor. Versus like our body's not even going to think about a baby right now. So stress would be number two. That's a huge one. Number three, I would say would be inadequate sleep or rest. That's a big one. So I mean, just even with our modern lifestyle and the amount of technology that we're using, we're on our phones and computers until late at night. That blue light is influencing, you know, our melatonin production or our sleep chemicals in a negative way. That disrupts our whole circadian rhythm, you know, our sleep-wake cycle so that we're not producing the levels of sex hormones that we really need. Gut health imbalances, this is a big one. So if someone is experiencing man or woman, they suspect a hormonal imbalance. They, you know, can experience some of those things that we previously talked about, and they're noticing some digestive issues. It's important to know that 80 to 90% of our neurochemistry is actually manufactured inside of the gut. Our serotonin, you know, our, a, lot, a lot of these um, neurochemicals are manufactured in the gut or at least the nutrients needed to produce them in the brain, that last little bit, is not met. So there's lots of things, everything from environmental toxins. This is a big one for us right now where we're so exposed to microplastics on a daily basis and there's brake dust in the air that we breathe and you know, there's all these BPAs and the shampoos that we use and there's pesticides and the foods we eat. And the good news is, is that it's not a hormonal death sentence. There's so much that we can do to recover from that and to keep ourselves balanced and well. But I'd say that those are some of the the key ones or key root cause imbalances behind why our hormones are going off nowadays. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like this is already a masterclass. It's like introduction to hormones 101. So one of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about the circadian rhythm that a man will experience as his hormones fluctuate over the course of the day, both when he's imbalanced and when he's imbalanced is the cognitive ripple effect that occurs. And I'm curious if we can backtrack a little bit and talk about what will happen for a woman over the course of a month if she's going through this infradian rhythm. And maybe it would be helpful for listeners as well if we could break down what the four phases that a woman goes through over the course of a month and what we can expect when she's in a state of hormonal balance and what we can expect when she's imbalanced from a cognitive, emotional, brain health perspective. And if you want to get super nerdy and weave in like the neurotransmitters, if that's helpful, you absolutely can. I know the listeners will love you for that. Mm, I love that. I guess this podcast is called Talk Nerdy to Me for a reason because we all love this talk. So I love it. Um, yeah. And I'll just preface that with even saying, you know, even for the men out there, this will be such valuable information because. He's either in, he's a, he's, you know, somebody's son and he's a brother and he's a partner to a woman and it's so valuable. You know, I think we don't talk enough about the neurochemistry of a woman throughout the phases of her menstrual cycle and everybody wins when we have a deeper conversation about that. So first off, the four main phases of our menstrual cycle, our menstrual cycle is so much more than just our bleeding days. Oftentimes people say, oh, I'm on my menstrual cycle when I have my period and when I'm bleeding. But the menstrual cycle actually refers to four key phases or, or seasons of different hormonal fluctuations that go on for a woman throughout that on average 28-ish day cycle. So the first phase, let's call it the follicular phase. So this is the phase where our inside of our ovaries, we have the templates of eggs, which are little follicles. And during this phase, that follicular phase, these follicles are being stimulated with follicle-stimulating hormone to produce that as an egg, and then that egg at ovulation is released for the possibility of pregnancy. 
So what's happening on a physiological and neurochemical level through this follicular phase? So the follicular phase is right after you finish your period. So day one of your cycle is your first day of your menstrual phase. And as soon as we stop bleeding, we call this next phase leading up to ovulation, that follicular phase. And what's happening in the body there is that our hormones, so our estrogen levels are starting to build. And the coolest thing about women is that when our estrogen starts to build, our serotonin and our dopamine actually increases and rises with that building of estrogen. So naturally, from a neurochemistry view, she's more creative at that time. Her motivation levels are really high. She wakes up with a lot of energy and vitality. She has a lot of creative potential. She's maybe more inclined to doing social events and and being around other people. It's a great time for her to give a talk or a presentation to work on creative projects because the social and the verbal centers of her brain are most lit up during this time through follicular. So that's kind of the first phase after you bleed. The second phase is ovulation. And ovulation is really the main event of a woman's hormonal cycle. And ovulation, how we learned about it in sex ed, was really just, you know, about procreation and about, you know, that's the time that you can make a baby. But what we don't realize is that there are so many physical and mental health benefits of ovulation for a woman beyond just pregnancy. So during this time, her estrogen levels from that mature follicle peak and luteinizing hormone, it makes its debut at that time and really stimulates the ovary to release that egg, causing the event of ovulation. So what's happening in her brain during that time is that the communication centers of her brain are at their most active. So she is more social. She's naturally and biologically more outgoing during that time. She's creative. This is an excellent time for this woman to harness her hormonal advantage and to use her hormones to her advantage. It's a great time to ask for a raise in her work, to do an important meeting or give a presentation. It's a great time for doing interviews or networking. So this is a very, very important part. And women and men in relationship to women tend to love the ovulatory phase. She's at her most magnetic and outgoing. She feels really good. And then the next two phases of the menstrual cycle, they tend to get a bit of a bad rap, hormonally speaking, and therefore in our brains and in our neurochemistry as well. So the third phase of the menstrual cycle is called the luteal phase. And the luteal phase, also known as like our premenstrual phase, like that seven to 10 days-ish before a woman gets her period, there's a lot going on inside of her neurochemistry. So her hormonal concentrations start to lower. Her estrogen starts to lower in that third phase of her menstrual cycle. And with that lowering of estrogen, her serotonin goes with it. So her serotonin actually dips. There's a lull of her serotonin and her GABA. So serotonin being that happiness, daytime, you know, feel-good neurochemical, and GABA being really that calming, you know, grounding, balancing chemical that a woman needs to really feel balanced and grounded throughout this phase. And so naturally, women may feel a little bit more sensitive at that time. We might feel a little bit more tender. We may feel less connected to our joy. We might not have the motivation to like go paragliding or go skydiving at that time, let alone, you know, doing new things or trying new experiences. I'm laughing to myself over here because this is the time of the month when I send out warning texts to everybody I love and say, I am a monster. Oh my God, I love it. I am our monster right now. But I also just want to acknowledge that I'm patting myself on the back over here because I'm ovulating either today or tomorrow. And I'm like, yes, perfectly timed this interview. We really nailed it on the timing. I love it. I love it. And okay, let's get this because you're in ovulation. Today is actually day two of my period. So I'm in my menstrual phase and neurochemically, I'm not at my most optimal to be having a talk or, you know, being really social. And I want to just make this point because I think when women start to dive into this world of cycle syncing and understanding her neurochemistry throughout it, I know for me, I kind of went into like, oh, I'm on my, I'm in my menstrual phase. I can't give a talk. And I want to just like speak to the nonsense of that because as a woman, you are more than capable of doing anything throughout any phase of your cycle. So when I talk about here is let's just say that it's not that you can't give a speech or you can't do a podcast interview when you are any other time other than ovulation when your communication centers of your brain are most lit up. And let's say if we have the choice, 
then I would book more podcast interviews at that time because I know there's just going to be so much more ease, more flow. So what I personally do is if I'm doing a lot of interviews in my menstrual phase, I'm not going to book more in. I'm not going to be going hard at the gym. I'm not going to be traveling during that time. You know, I have I have a client call in a podcast interview this morning. I'm going to go lay in the bathtub this afternoon with some Epsom salts and some cozy tea. And I'm just going to use my self-care and use these other pillars of my well-being to kind of balance me out through that phase. So I love that you've said that because, yeah, it's not that we only have to do things during ovulation when we feel that, but it's an opportunity to get really creative and to look at our calendar from kind of a month's bird eye view and, and see things and kind of optimize our calendar and the things that we do in a way that unlocks our hormonal advantage versus maybe works against it. Absolutely. And I think that this is just another way that we can ride the high of the hormonal fluctuations and neurotransmitter fluctuations that we're already naturally experiencing. And what I also always love to come back to is the acknowledgement that sometimes it's okay if you're not really good at doing the thing that you're normally really good at doing. You know, for me, it helps me foster a greater level of self-compassion when I feel like the words just aren't moving out of my mouth as smoothly. And it's like, well, yeah, Alex, because your brain is functioning differently than when all cylinders are firing, you know? So I think it's just an opportunity for greater self-compassion when we're in awareness of an acknowledgement of where we're at in our cycle and what phase we happen to be in. And we can use that to our advantage rather than scheduling our life in a way that is not conducive to optimizing where we already happen to be. And I think where we kind of left off was after we're in the I am a monster phase <laughs> of this 28-ish day cycle, then what starts to happen? Mm, oh, I love that. Okay, so that is our luteal phase, that shark week, that monster week, right? And there's gifts in it too. There's so many gifts. And and when women really honor and hone in and and optimize that phase, we really can balance that neurochemistry just by adding in more self-care. The main theme that we want to work on during that luteal phase is reducing stress hormones because that shark week and, and a lot of the intensity that we feel during that week, because yeah, serotonin is low, GABA is low, and usually because we feel like we still have to push through and achieve and be at our peak that we had the week prior, then our stress hormones are through the roof. So a big tip for women during that week is what can you take off your plate? What can you take off your calendar? What can you reschedule for the next week when you're back in follicular and you're feeling amazing and vibrant and there's so much energy and vitality? So the secret to really keeping balanced and to actually boosting those levels of GABA and serotonin that are naturally, you know, plummeting during that phase is really work on minimizing those stress hormones because that's just going to worsen the situation. But we can actually balance it out by adding in more self-care more inwardness, more, you know, time to yourself and things that really nourish you. So that's the luteal. So the last phase of our menstrual cycle is the actual menstrual phase. So this sometimes we call it the first phase of our cycle, but really it's it's the last phase of our cycle. It's the completion. So menstrual phase is, is when we have our period. So these are a woman's bleeding days. It's really the only visible part of our cycle, right? The only part that we can actually see and know for a fact that we're in that phase because there's a presence of, of blood. So the menstrual phase is the most profound, the most misunderstood. There's the most misconception, but there are profound neurochemistry superpowers for a woman during this phase. During this phase, the left and the right hemispheres of our brain are most in sync. They're in the greatest communication with one another. So in ancient times, right, they've said that a woman during her period is at her most intuitive, right? Maybe you've heard that before. But from a neurochemistry point of view, it actually is very validating and makes a lot of sense. When your left brain, right, your logical parts, your practical side of your brain and your right brain, the emotional center, the creative, the more relational part of our brain, when they're in greatest sync and greatest communication with one another, what do we call that? That's intuition. We tend to be the most honest about how we really feel about a situation during that time, not just from an emotional perspective, but also weaving in a balance of the practical. We're kind of have this superpower of being able to weigh the pros and cons of situations and to understand at the deepest level, you know, with with clarity of how we really feel about things. And it's often, again, when we have that heightened levels of stress hormones that during that time, because we're 
you know, our body's really asking for rest. It's going through a huge event. One thing that we don't realize when we have our period is that as women, we literally have one of our primary organs hemorrhaging. Like it's a big deal physiologically. There's a lot going on on a hormonal level. And we kind of just play it off as though like we should be at our peak during that time and we should be outgoing and doing and achieving and, you know, being at the same pace of life and intensity as we are designed to be biologically in our, say, ovulatory phase. So again, when our stress hormones are really at their peak, that balance of the left and right hemispheres of our brain gets compromised and it comes out as confusion, right? That clarity that we are designed to feel during that time can come out as confusion, as, you know, brain fog, as feeling disconnected, as feeling really inward and antisocial. And so one of the best things that we can do during that time is, again, take rest and give ourselves permission, right? We don't run on the same hormonal cycle that men do. And in society, there really is such a, a favor or such a just habit towards the men's hormonal cycle, which is kind of that nine to five clock, right? When we think of what the world operates, Monday to Friday, nine to five, that's really working in service to men's hormonal rhythm, which is the same every single day. Highest hormones in the, in the morning, lowest at night. So he really thrives to work nine to five, hormonally speaking. A woman, we actually work really well. Like if I could like redesign the world out there and, and how people work, then I would say follicular and ovulatory, I'm going to be doing my most work. I'm going to be working my most at that time. And then for about 10 days of my cycle, I'm going to be more inward and I'm going to be focusing more on different kind of tasks, more analytical, more left brain things that don't require so much social connection or outgoing or those kinds of things. Amazing. I'm so mind blown right now by everything that you just shared. And it also brings up another question for me, because I know that women that are postmenopausal who no longer have a period are still experiencing hormonal fluctuations over the course of a month. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to that, because I know that there is a percentage of our listeners that are older women, and I'm curious what they can look out for in themselves as well. Yes. Oh, 100%. Thanks for bringing this up. So that's exactly it. So as a woman ages and as she gets into perimenopause and into menopause, which menopause just means that she has no longer had a period for 12 months, that's what we consider you formally entered into menopause, there is a radically different hormonal status going on. And kind of like what we spoke to regarding the luteal phase and the menstrual phase, her hormonal status during menopause really mimics that of being in an ongoing luteal phase and menstrual phase, where again, those hormonal concentrations are at their lowest. And she may, you know, experience a level of less energy or lower mood or some of the things that we may experience during menstrual and luteal. Same thing goes with the superpowers, however. Her during luteal phase and during menopause and perimenopause, the left part of the brain. So just as in luteal phase where we are more active in our left brain, the analytical centers, the data, analyzing data, those parts of our brain are most lit up during luteal. Same goes in perimenopause and menopause. And as well as in menstrual phase where the left and the right hemispheres of the brain are most in sync. That's why I truly believe that in ancient times, you know, they called women that have, have finished their period the wise ones of the community, right? Because the left and the right hemispheres of their brain are in most sync. This is a great opportunity for women to really unlock that advantage. But the number one tip for these women is just like in luteal phase and menstrual phase is really working with the stress hormones because that's really what perpetuates those lower levels, lower concentrations of estrogen and progesterone that are already, you know, decreasing by that time. So really focusing on all of the areas of wellness, everything from stress reduction, right, to minimize those stress hormones so that her natural production of estrogen and progesterone at that time, even though it's significantly less, we can optimize that by reducing those stress hormones that are trying to steal it. Focusing a lot on nutrition, so focusing on foods specifically that can increase estrogen, Things like um, soy or even like tempeh or tofu or wild yam. There's certain supplements as well that can be taken to help maintain those levels of estrogen and progesterone during that time. And really just living a healthy, balanced lifestyle and embracing this part. I think so much of the 
discomforts, you know, that we go through in any phase of a woman's hormonal, you know, history from her first period, her menarche, right, to pregnancy, to childbirth, to perimenopause, to menopause. I truly believe that so much of the discomfort that we as women can experience in those phases really lies in a lot of like our resistance to that, right? And a really kind of dismissal of those phases or a feeling like I shouldn't be feeling this way. And oftentimes just our relationship to those phases can really impact how we feel in them naturally. It's kind of that mind over matter thing. So of course, there's lots of biological changes and lots that we can do. But a big piece of it, I think, is really embracing those parts of us and really honing into the natural hormonal gifts that lie in every phase of a woman's hormonal life. Absolutely. On that note, I'm hoping we can go back to some of the practical tools that you might be able to provide listeners towards getting back into balance. Because I know that with women and men, you mentioned the biggest things are nutrition and dietary deficiencies as well as stress being the two things that really, really throw us off. And then you also mentioned sleep. There are some environmental factors. But in terms of nutrition, for women and men or women or men, depending on what we each individually need, do you have any kind of overarching generalized recommendations for women and men in terms of coming back into a greater state of balance? Or is it always very individualized based on the type of imbalance that you're seeing in your clients? Oh, such a great question. So let's start general and then we'll get specific because there's some, you know, general guidelines that will be supportive for regardless of our sex, regardless of our age, no matter where we are in our hormonal status. And that is, of course, eat optimal nutrition, right? So the optimal nutrition is, you know, with every meal, a balance of protein and fat and, and starch or complex carbohydrates and fiber, right? That's going to be essential for everybody. So not having naked carbs, as I call it, just carbohydrates without protein, fat, fiber, and then we're on this blood sugar roller coaster and that influences our hormones and our neurochemistry and so much. So really having balanced meals that include all of our macronutrients, important for everybody. Eating organic as much as possible. This is going to be essential for everyone for two main reasons. One, of course, the exposure to toxins through pesticides in our foods, those accumulate and have a direct impact, right? Some of the pesticides on the foods that we consume have levels of mercury and aluminum and heavy metals, and that has a direct impact on our nervous system and our capacity to produce hormones, right? It has a huge impact on our brain health. So eating organic, the other side of eating organic is that organic food is simply more micronutrient dense. I'm not sure the exact conversion, but imagine even like, hundred years ago before all the use of all these crazy pesticides, let's say we'd have to eat today 10 carrots to get the amount of vitamin A that we used to be able to get in one hundred years ago. So the micronutrient density is just so decreased these days, especially in foods that are sprayed with pesticides and genetically manufactured and things like that. So those I would say would be the kind of top two general everyone can benefit from that. If you just did that for a month, you'd notice improvements in your hormones where you're getting all of the nutrients that you need. You're keeping your blood sugar really balanced with optimizing your macronutrients and and eating really clean, not building up toxins, which influence our hormones. Now, where it gets a bit more specific is actually in that age of women where they are menstruating. So men and menopausal women, they'll benefit kind of from those general rules. However, with a menstruating woman that is going through such vast changes through those different phases of her menstrual cycle, her everything changes. So her nutritional needs actually radically change from phase to phase. And I always like to say that it's not about perfectionism and it's not about, you know, I can only eat this in this phase and I can't go out with my friends because I'm not going to get the right amount of this. But it's rather just like, what can we add in, right? Eat well, eat clean. But knowing through the different phases of our cycle, which foods or which nutrients are going to really help us stay balanced. So a quick little example, when a woman is in her menstrual phase and there's blood loss, naturally there's a loss of iron and low iron leads to low mood, low energy and contributes to, you know, maybe her feeling a little bit less than optimal during that phase. So of course it makes perfect sense during the menstrual phase to add in more iron rich foods. Foods that are easier to digest when her digestive capacity is a bit reduced during that time because there's just more happening inside of her system. Her body's energy reserves are going towards this event of menstruation. 
So easy to digest foods, mineral rich, think like Japanese food. I Every time that I'm in my period, I'm going to have some kind of sushi with a lot of nori and, and uh, mineral rich seaweed in there. Lots of iron rich foods to help replenish what's being lost during that time. Then let's say the luteal phase right before your period is that's when women tend to notice like more discomforts. Usually ovulation and follicular, they feel great. So they can, you know, have more flexibility with their nutrition. So shark week dietary recommendations is basically what we're going into right now. <laughs> shark week nutrition tips. I love it. That's exactly it. So during the shark week, what we really need to incorporate a lot more of is liver loving foods. So a lot of the emotional discomforts, for women, it can go two ways. It can either be more like sad, weepy, low mood, or it can be more irritability, frustration, anxiety, overwhelm. It can go either way in our nervous system. But during that phase, what really helps is a lot of liver-loving foods. So during that second half of our menstrual cycle, our liver should be processing a lot of the excess estrogen floating around inside of our system. And if our liver can't keep up, then we get this buildup, this excess of estrogen. And it's that excess estrogen that causes a lot of the irritability and causes a lot of the physical symptoms. Like some women will get breast tenderness that week before, or they'll notice like water retention in their body. They'll get a little bit like puffier, or they'll feel swollen, or they'll feel like they've gained weight. And a lot of that is because our liver can't keep up with processing that excess estrogen. And that estrogen doesn't want to be floating around in our system wreaking havoc so it will file away into our fat cells the adipose tissue and actually swell so we actually physically can when we have too much estrogen hold on to more water have that breast tenderness feel more heavy in our body so yeah during that phase we want to have a lot more complex carbohydrates what do we notice the week before a period we're like much more inclined for things like chocolate and carbs and sugars and like we just want to eat so much more during that phase which actually makes a lot of sense. Our metabolism is so much higher during that phase, during the second half of our cycle. So we actually physically need more calories than we do in the first half of our cycle before ovulation. So having more complex carbohydrates because your body's asking for it doesn't mean, you know, go straight to like refined sugars, but knowing that your body does need more carbohydrates because your metabolism is revved up to support this natural process of ovulation and then menstruation. So those are some of the top ones of how we can support ourselves nutritionally through that phase. Amazing. I just want to take a moment to pause and step back and just share how impressed I am by you knowing everything that you just shared about the way that our cycles change and the fact that you are nailing this interview on day two of your communication centers being offline. I know that the listeners are going to be just as impressed as I am. I'm so mind blown right now. And I also want to ask, you know, before we start to kind of wrap up the interview, is there any other tip or tool that you want to share in terms of how to kind of navigate ourselves towards greater balance before we begin to close out today? Mm. Oh, thanks so much for saying that, Alex. You're so sweet. And yes, number one is stress. As you mentioned, that's going to be the first and foremost for our hormonal status. So what does that mean, right? Of course, there's so many tools that we have access to, whether it's meditation or mindfulness, or I'll be honest, I have so many tools when it comes to like stress reduction and all these different therapies. I'll admit that one of my favorite stress reduction tools is cuddling with my cats and having 15 minutes a day with my delicious purring cat on my stomach, co-regulating with her. And it is the most simple, free, stress-free thing available to us. So hot tip for hormonal well-being is to cuddle your cat. That's a big one. And the last one that I'll share is, again, specifically for women as their hormones are so specific, is a practice called cycle syncing or menstrual cycle awareness method. And if you've never heard of it, it's great to look up. I also have several podcast episodes just on that of exactly what to eat throughout each phase of your menstrual cycle to optimize your hormonal well-being, how to exercise throughout the four phases of your cycle, because doing you know high-intensity interval training in the first half of your cycle is really beneficial, but in the second half, it's actually really damaging and increases those stress hormones in the body, which perpetuates lower concentrations of hormones and sex hormones and therefore serotonin and GABA, those well-being neurochemicals that we really need. So cycle syncing is really about adapting the everyday things that we do to be in service of our menstrual cycle from the foods that we eat throughout the different phases, the exercise that we do, 
the self-care that we need, right? So let's say during ovulation, so much of our self-care can be more like pleasure-based, right? What are the things that bring you pleasure and joy and aliveness? But during the premenstrual and menstrual phase, we need a lot more inward self-care, more like go get a massage, go have a hot bath, you know, those types of things. So number one is cycle syncing and really understand how to optimize every area of your life from the work that you're doing, the people that you're hanging out with, your social calendar, you know, exercise, food, self-care, and so much more can really be optimized. Amazing. Thank you so much. I already feel like I need to start working with you so that I am no longer a monster on week three. And I know that a lot of the listeners are going to be feeling the same way. So where can we learn more about you and learn about working with you? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. I love connecting with people. Instagram would be the best place for us to to have a chat. So I'm on Instagram. My handle's at Bindi Stables, B-I-N-D-I, two I's, and Stables with a B. Um, or they can listen to my podcast. It's called Vibrant You on all of the platforms or visit my website. It's my name, BindiStables.com. Amazing. And all of those are going to be in the show notes as well. So everyone will have easy access to them. Is there any final word of wisdom you'd like to share before we officially say goodbye? Love your hormones for everybody out there. Your hormones are such a powerful, invisible, seemingly mystical force going on inside of our body. And they have such an influence over how we feel, how we think, how we experience life. So it's just an invitation to really bring love and care and compassion to those hormonal fluctuations that all of us experience and really to inspire the possibility of deepening that knowledge and supporting our hormonal wellness in the deepest way. Amazing. You are absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on and talking nerdy to me today. (laughs) It's so much fun. Thanks for having me. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears and brains of more listeners like you by sharing it on social media. When you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Alex underscore Nashton. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. New episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me drop every single Wednesday. When you hit subscribe, you'll be notified of new releases so you never have to miss one. Last but not least, this podcast baby would not be possible without Adam Russell. Adam, I am so grateful to have had your support in creating this podcast. Thank you for always being willing to talk nerdy to me.